Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sens Nation podcast. we got a very busy show on the way. It is, well, we'll get a Slave Lake update in a moment. The 30th anniversary of the Ottawa Senators expansion announcement. North Dakota, or um, the NCAA version of the Ottawa Senators, open up with a, an impressive performance. Jacob Bernard Docker taking a knee during the anthem. NHL teams may try and mitigate COVID uh, and the risk of it with more outdoor games for the coming season. And that and a whole lot more coming up on the Sens Nation podcast. Episode number 37. We're pleased to be joined, as always, by the coach, Greg Kennedy, out in Slave Lake. How are things? Things are great, Stephen. It's been beautiful out here, by the way, like above zero all week and uh, downright balmy, let me tell you. I bet you didn't expect that. Not at all. Like like I went out the other day and the snow was melting for crying out loud. I think it's like spring here. It's beautiful. Nice. Any news on the Slave Lake Ice Dogs? I know the league is in shutdown until after Christmas, but you're still there plugging away. What's up? Yeah, well, the, the league, uh, we should clarify, the league did not have to shut down, but they made a decision to shut down early for Christmas. We right. were going to shut down like the 20th. Instead, we shut down the day after the big announcement from uh, Premier Kenny out here in Alberta. So that was the 27th, like a, a little over a week ago. So the players have gone home. So it's it's kind of, it's really a blessing in disguise for me. I've had an opportunity now to get the office set up, get the dress room set up where we've, uh, construction's begun. We're putting stalls in the room and, and and uh, I've got equipment room all set up. My office is done with chairs and desks and everything is coming along nicely there. And then I will fly out and head home on the 16th of December. Well, I'm pleased that the internet is set up. That's really, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you got that after Crucial. last week. Yeah. And we'll see how it, we'll see how it manages here in the next well, uh, 45 I, minutes. I don't actually live in Slave Lake. I'm about 20 minutes east on, or sorry, west on Highway 2 uh-huh. in a little community called Widewater. Uh, I live in a 9,000 square foot palatial estate here. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, internet, (laughs) it's like, it's bad enough because you're out in the middle of nowhere, but then you're in such a big house that makes it even more difficult. Uh, But uh, I I found a spot right here in the kitchen and if Bailey would eat quieter, I'm sure you can hear Bailey chomping on her food over there. um, Things would be even better if Bailey would just settle down. Uh, And uh, so uh, Bailey's your dog or your cat? Uh, Bailey is a chocolate lab. Uh, there's a chocolate lab. There's a black uh, a cross between a Malamute and a Labrador. It's called a Malador. And there's also a golden retriever here who's, oh, he's just gorgeous. That's Tucker. And there's a cat. So it's a it's a busy uh, menagerie here as well. Plus, there's, of course, nine players live over on the other side of the house. The house was built by a home builder who was building homes here in the area. So he built this big, huge mansion. And one whole section of the house is like nine bedrooms with about four or five bathrooms. They've got their own living room over there that's bigger than mine. They've got mine at home, that is. They've got their own kitchen over there. Um, Basically, that whole side of the house is for the players. On this side, I've got a kitchen here that's, it's bigger than my one-bedroom apartment at home. Really, this kitchen is humongous. Uh, there's something called a butler's pantry, whatever that is. There's <laughs> one of those here. There's a massive great room, it's called. It's not a living room. It's a great room, uh, a 12-table dining room table. Uh, my master bedroom, my shower is 15 by 15, by the way. Good Lord. Yeah, there's a 16-jet Whirlpool bathtub in my room. There's a 20 by 20 walk-in closet in my bedroom. So I've got a massive master bedroom suite, really. Um, so was this and, thing built for the team? Like, was it actually built for the hockey club? 
No, it was built by this guy who was building homes. And the idea was that he would bring in crews to do the work, right? So he'd bring in for one week, you know, there'd be a bunch of drywallers living over on the other half. Then the next week would be electricians. The next week would be plumbers, whatever. As he's building homes, it was like a bunkhouse for the, for the uh, home building crew. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And, and it comes with my, one of my assistant coaches lives here with his wife and his two kids. They have their own section with their two dogs and a cat. And one dog came with the house. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, when you got this job with these Slave Lake ice dogs, I said to myself, <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure you know, they'll fix them up maybe with a little bachelor apartment or something like that yeah. when you said your housing was taken care of. That's uh, that's turned out pretty well. I'm I'm surprised you're coming oh. home for Christmas, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah right. well, like, my, my accommodation's covered, food's covered, I'm laughing. Very good. Okay. Well, we'll keep uh, we'll keep posted as the uh, weeks progress as to what's happening with the Slave Lake Ice Dogs. But this is the Sens Nation podcast, not the Slave Lake Ice Dogs podcast. <laughs> gotcha. So let, let us jump in. And boy, what a special day it was 30 years ago, almost to the day. The Board of Governors of the National Hockey League have granted conditional franchises to the applicants representing the city of Ottawa. There's one more. And Tampa. So there was a fairly underwhelming announcement. It's uh, That was John Ziegler, who was the Gary Bettman of the day back in 1990. And December 6th was the day the NHL expanded by two teams, the Ottawa Senators and Tampa Bay Lightning, as John Ziegler mentioned there. The, he mentioned Ottawa first, and then the Ottawa contingent that was uh, down south was going bonkers in the background. But as far as uh, splashy announcements, Greg, didn't quite compare to some of the more recent NHL expansion bids, did it? Yeah, like like that, just the way things were. It was like they're so naive, you know, the whole – and it was a surprise. They weren't expecting it that that day at that time. But the Board of Governors met that morning, and they, they voted unanimously for both those teams uh, fairly quickly right away. And they walked out and made an announcement. Like nobody was even expecting the announcement that they figured they'd be a few hours in their meeting that morning and just no fanfare, no nothing. And he, he, he's not really even reading it off a script or anything. He just says, you know, we awarded franchises to the cities of uh, Ottawa, you know, like yeah. it was just crazy, but, yeah. but a, an exciting day. No question. Uh, the showmanship in 1990 wasn't exactly uh, the way it is these days for sure. And the memory I have of that day is just disbelief. As someone who grew up in this area, uh, I, I always dreamed that Ottawa might have an NHL team one day. There was some point when the Colorado Rockies were looking for a new home. There was some speculation that maybe they'd blow a wall out at the Nepean Sportsplex and maybe have the Colorado Rockies moved, move here. Uh, it ended up they ended up going to New Jersey. But even then, it didn't really feel like anything real. And right up until the announcement, I was still in somewhat in disbelief, figuring I'd be disappointed. And I was just shocked. The, the shock level that I had and, uh, and the fact that they didn't really have any money. Like, they didn't have a rink. They didn't have the $50 million expansion fee. They just said yes to every question that the NHL put to them. Yeah, and the, and the key was for these guys to get the money was the real estate deal. 
and the real estate deal didn't really happen for them. They weren't, they were planning on building a whole community out there, right? It was Terrace Homes and Terrace Investments. And whenever the NHL said it'll cost this, yes, and you'll need this, yes, you'll need that, yes. And Bob's your uncle, they got a team out of it. And and funny thing was Tampa was the same sort of way. They were they had didn't have enough money. And at the last minute, Phil Esposito or somebody out there managed to get a bunch of Japanese investors to throw money into it. And that's how Tampa was able to come up with their funds. The other thing I remember is that nonsense with the Ontario Municipal Board. They got the franchise, and the weeks that would follow, we were all on pins and needles wondering if the whole arena plan would be scuttled because of a little tiny creek. I don't even know. No, no, it's a river. Eh, Really? Is it really a river, though? You can call it whatever you want. But, I mean, the point was they had, like, guys out in canoes that were trying to decide whether it was a big enough body of water to interrupt the actual construction of the of the Corral Center, the Palladium, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it just seemed absurd to like, something that's as important to this region as it is. The Ottawa Senators could have been felled by a little creek, effectively. I remember the picture on the front page of the paper of the guy in the canoe. They were determining whether it was navigable. Is that the right word? That's it. Is it truly a navigable navigable body of water? And it was like the thing's about what? About five feet wide? But, you know, I guess it stretches to something wider elsewhere. It turns into a real river. Who knows? Yeah. That was hilarious. I remember that too. Played a little Tom Petty. I won't back down is our music coming uh, into the show today. And that's uh, that's why we chose it, because that was the theme song through the whole process. I remember Frank Finnegan, one of the original Ottawa Senators, Silver Seven Days. Uh, he was uh, still around for this whole thing and uh, really uh, lent a cool name to the whole process. You have any other memories of uh, of the awarding of the franchise? Well, I remember Jim Durrell being the front man, right? He was he the mayor at the time, or was he now the former mayor and was took this on? Oh, he's been he's had so many hats, right? It's uh, he was yeah. part, part of the Rough Riders for a while as well. Yeah, and I remember, of course, the the uh, the fire station, the fire department band. They were everywhere, right? They yeah. were down in Florida for the announcement. I remember Jim Durrell from the perspective of I was working as the sports director at two radio stations in Smith Falls. It was Sea uh, Jet. And what was then Q101, it may have been Q Country, it bounced around a little. Uh, But I was doing a split shift, so I did morning sports, and then I went back in the afternoon to do afternoon sports for the drive show. And man. Oh, I was so tired, all the time tired. (laughs) And uh, But while I'm home sleeping, the announcement came down, and... I didn't. I honestly didn't expect it till later in the day if it came at all. Right. And so I I scrambled back in and uh, found somebody on the phone, and it was in fact Jim Durrell I got a hold of, and he was great. Um, he was in party mode, and he said, "Absolutely, I'll jump on, uh, no problem." Uh, but let's not take too long because you're cutting into my beer time now. So <laughs> he yeah. was fired up, and everybody down there was. It was a real special day thirty years ago. The show today scattered with trivia. It's episode 37. I forgot to mention out of the gate. Um, I want to get back to this a little bit. Um, Ottawa Senators of the past. Guys who wore number 37 in honor of episode 37. I was only able to get two. Dean McCammon, that you come up with another one, like what? Like a Kent Painter or something? No, a Josh Norris. (laughs) What? He's won 37. I don't know if it's his plan moving forward. He's only played three games in the league. 
But uh, 37 was a choice. Is that what he Oh, jeez. I didn't even. Wow. Oh, then that's embarrassing. We should know he's my favorite guy there. I should have known that that's what number he was wearing. I was thinking of like a U-Haul Yolonen. I've got some vision of a Finn forward here for a short time wearing 37. Who was the guy? There was another Finn that was here even less time than that. Yeah, nobody's a Finn in the mix. There's only four others now. I'll go through them. I'll put put you out of your misery. Uh, They're not exactly superstars. So you got your Yves Sarrault, who probably more uh, known for his days in Colorado. Marty St. Pierre. Good guy there. Local uh, guy. Yep. He's uh, he's still plugging away, uh, playing uh, over, I think, in the KHL or somewhere in Europe. I'm not sure now. Where Father he... Father Ray, the cop. Nice yeah. nice man. Cool. Another guy with local ties, a former Ottawa 67's great. Corey Locke wore that number. Okay. And then Casey Bailey. Who? The old Bailey building and loan. There's a Christmas reference for him. <laughs> <laughs> well done, yeah. Steve. So that's uh, that's your whole lineup of number 37s. There hasn't been a lot of accomplishment there, but I have a feeling with Josh Norris, that may be about to change. I can't believe you threw in Bailey business alone. <laughs> George Bailey. <laughs> Bailey? What's he doing here? Yeah, well, that's a great performance by uh, uh, the oldest Barrymore, as the grumpy old man there. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lionel? Okay. Lionel Barrymore, correct. Yes. Sorry. That's uh I haven't watched that. It's a wonderful life in probably twenty years. I watched really? I've probably seen it about, I don't know, twenty times. I may I, I may take that in. I, I've got a colorized version around here Ugh, somewhere, no, but no. uh yeah, I don't know if I'll watch that. But I'll i I think I will watch it during this Christmas season. Uh let's change gears though. We have a yeah. number of other things we want to tackle. And I don't know. North Dakota was kind of an, a neat uh, start to things. Of course, North Dakota being the North Dakota Ottawa Senators, effectively. And uh, to open up with a 2 nothing win over Miami the way they did, badly outshooting them, really minimizing Miami's chances. Uh, and the fact is, well, three of the six defensemen who played in the game are Ottawa Senator prospects. Uh, that, that at least speaks to the fact they had a, a good game defensively. Jake Sanderson... Uh, Jacob Bernard Docker and Tyler Clevin and Clevin might've been the one. Cause I don't know Jack squad about Tyler Clevin. I'm not going to deny that, but to see some of the highlights, this guy can shoot and this guy can hit his first shift. He just dropped two guys, not one, but two. And uh, so he's definitely another physical type defenseman that will come in handy. And another right shot defenseman. They're, they're so short on those right now, but there sure are a lot on the way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I hadn't even. There's so many guys there that you forget some of them are there, right? Yeah. Like, well, like, I'm, how many are actually there? There are actually only four. There's only one more, and that'd be Shane Pinto on top of the three D that yeah. I mentioned. And Pinto, by the way, set up both goals. Why did I think there's a there's another one? Oh, oh, somebody left, right? They they yeah. quit. Johnny Tyconic at Omaha Johnny now. Tyconic quit. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. You think of the biggies, yeah. That's that's but that's a good start. We should stop calling them North Dakota and just start calling them South Ottawa. No? <laughs> I like it. And it's a shame uh, they were on their way to a Final Four appearance and who knows maybe a championship last year. Uh, so hopefully uh, they're as good or stronger this year and and it'll be fun to watch them because let's face it, we've got nothing else to watch for the next couple or the next month or so, right? Yeah. Jacob Bernard yeah. Docker took a knee during the anthem with one of his teammates. And it's funny. When Colin Kaepernick 
did it for the first time with the 49ers. It was so controversial, largely because I think, you know, he was doing something that was against the custom. Everybody knew the custom to be one thing. You stand during the national anthem. And until we were kind of educated and schooled on what the intent behind that was, uh, everybody thought it was kind of rude, kind of uh, against, you know, patriotism and all that. But that's long in our rearview mirror now. And, uh, and now we know exactly what the ceremony of taking a knee during the anthem is. And it's kind of nice to see from Bernard Docker, because you're always looking for those little intangibles about a player. And that certainly speaks to leadership and character. For sure. I mean, let's face it. There are different levels of, of understanding of the issue, right? Some people can understand the issue and get it and will do nothing about it. Some people can understand the issue and get it and may want to donate to a cause or who knows, maybe write an op-ed or a letter to an editor or something, speak out in some way. This is a very, very, um, he's reached a different level in making a statement. Let's put it that way. Like you can, like I said, you can, you can put something out there that says on, on Twitter, how you feel about it. You can maybe donate to a cause. You can maybe go to a March, but this is a very, uh, visual statement he's making and, and being who he is in a first round draft choice. And a, is he the captain? No assistant captain. It was him and Jasper Weatherby, who's also an assistant captain who took the knee. Okay. But clearly taking a leadership role. I mean, as you well know, you don't need to be wearing a letter to be a leader. Right. He is a big high profile name on that team in that league. Uh, Even within the NHL prospect list, he's a high profile name. And to make a statement like that is, is a pretty big deal. And and for a young man as well. So yeah, uh, kudos to him for that, for sure. Bernard Docker was very good for Team Canada in their gold medal performance last year at the World Junior Hockey Championship. And as we get ready for that this year, some bad news for Team Canada as far as their gold medal hopes go. They still, I would think, would always, as they always are, uh, be among the favorites. But no Alexi Lafreniere, the number one overall draft pick in this year's draft. The Rangers have decided, no, we're not going to make him available to Team Canada. Your thoughts on that? I didn't expect they would. They would view him as an NHLer, and I, they expected to be, I would think, and maybe still do expect to be in training camp themselves, the Rangers, at that time. Uh, if you're talking about a guy who's going to step in and play in your third or fourth line, then maybe it's okay if he's not at camp. But I think Lafreniere they view as being a top six guy, and he needs to be in camp and learning systems and adjusting the NHL pace of play and, and everything else and immersing himself in – the pro hockey player life. And that's probably why they've said no, even though it looks like now the season's not going to start till maybe the middle of January. So there'll definitely be time. He could certainly be available, but I get it. They, they, they view him as an NHLer and they're not letting him go. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself the question because I saw a number of places on Twitter. Oh, it's not fair to the kid. I would hazard a guess that more kids than not, would rather go and start their NHL careers and get to know their teammates and get into the league as fast as possible if they have that opportunity in front of them versus a chance to play for Team Canada, even if it's for the first time. Yeah, I I don't know. The first time it may be different. But the other thing we need to understand here is it's not like a normal world junior where you've done all that. You've been to training camp. You've immersed yourself in the program. You're with 
your team, you've played two or three months, then you get released to play for Team Canada in a tournament for two weeks at Christmas. That's a totally different scenario. And in those cases, I don't understand NHL teams that won't release a guy who's in their bottom six or even you know maybe a healthy scratch half the time. I don't understand why teams don't release guys in a normal year for a world junior. In this scenario, I do get it, and and I understand. And you're right; the player was probably would feel exactly as you just said, like, well, you know, I'd like to be there, but I've got to get going on my NHL season. Yeah, and you have to factor in, you know, what if Lafreniere goes there and gets injured? That won't help the Rangers any. You've got the COVID factor going on, and honestly, and and on the injury front, by the way, he did get injured at that tournament last year briefly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He came back, but uh, well, I mean, is there anything? For him, is there anything to gain from him going out and being the best player in that tournament once again? I feel like if there was something to gain and, you know, maybe a confidence factor that might be realized by him playing there again, you know, that might benefit the kid. And and that and for the New York Rangers, that might be an upside. But I don't think that's the case. But a guy I do think that there is a case to be made for that is Jack Hughes, who played in the NHL last year and really was a non-factor for the most part. They had 20-something points. And it's only his first year. I'm not going to quit on the kid in any way, shape, or form. He's the number one overall draft pick from two years ago. But there's a guy who maybe could have used a confidence booster. What do you think? Yes, that, that and that's the kind of scenario I'm talking about. Like, he's, yeah, okay, the kid's playing the NHL, but is he at his best level? Can we get more out of him? What is his psyche like? What's his confidence like? In some cases, maybe they do want to send the kid, but... It might affect his confidence if we do, and the kid might take it as, oh, geez, I'm not good enough to be here. They're shipping me out. Um, but if a kid is mature enough and can understand it, um, it could be the best thing in the world for them to go there and, and play amongst their peer group and hopefully play to their level and dominate and then come back and be a better player for the, for the NHL club. Now, a moment ago, you mentioned about the return of the Ottawa Senators, the, re- the start of the NHL season. Uh, being probably around January 15th. And uh, there are all kinds of new reports that are happening out there right now. Can we agree that January 1st seems extremely unlikely at this stage of the game? As we record this, it's December 4th. And, uh, well, there's many preparations that still have to happen to get a January 1st start time in. Yeah, January 1st is out. There's no way. You can't, a two-week or a, well, we've already determined, or the NHL's already determined that some teams are getting a three-week training camp. Well, you don't have a time here for 14-day quarantine and a three-week training camp and playing on January 1st. You couldn't even play exhibition games by January 1st, I don't think, if you started today. Yeah. Everybody's got to fly in, right? So January 15th is what it looks like now. Uh, I read something this morning that the NHLPA was, um, uh, they, the NHL submitted to the PA a proposal that was like a 56-game schedule or something. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, I saw 52. Uh, one, 52. One proposal said 52. The other said 56. And okay. uh, there is uh, also part of the proposal. They're now discussing the idea of pushing back. There's still both of those uh, schedules are based on a January 1st start. But I think everybody's understanding that uh, for every reason you just mentioned, not to mention last season they had a four-day Christmas break. Uh, the time you'll need to just get everybody together from all over the world on the quarantine. It just, it doesn't seem like it's reasonable to think January 1st could work. And how are these players going to feel about being, 
quarantined in a sort of certain way for their Christmas break. Like, yeah. uh, are you expecting them to be to be in town and going through uh, training camp over the Christmas holidays? So are they bringing their families with them? Are they not? How's that going to work? Um, then this whole idea, this, I know we're going to get to it, but this outdoor games idea, yeah. like what the, everybody wants to host them now because I guess 50% capacity in a football stadium is better than 25% capacity in a hockey stadium. Is that it? There's more revenue in it, but I would think it costs you more. You don't own the football stadium. Yeah. I don't get the outdoor stuff. Yeah. I mean, it still has to be separation, even though you're outdoors, nobody's, uh, Last yeah. I checked, every outdoor lineup I've been in for the last nine months, I still had to keep my two-meter distance from everybody, so you still have to maintain that distance. Uh, but yeah, you'd have to think it would be a, a lower COVID risk. You'd mitigate it a little bit by being outside. But I got to say, after how cold that one was, that <laughs> Senator Habs one here at TD Place, I was like, I don't know if I want to go through this again. Yeah. Yeah. And and have you have you been to one in a big huge football stadium? No, just the Ottawa one. Like okay, the sight lines are atrocious. Right. Right? Like it, 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 it's an it's a spectacle or an event or a beer fest. Like you don't go to one of those to watch the hockey game. Yeah. So I I think if you do too many of them, uh, and possibly they already have, um you 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 run the risk of people of, of not selling out, even if your sellout is only 50% in this case. Yeah. Especially if you're going back to places where they've already had one. Like if you're going to new places, okay, it's exciting. Yeah, cool. Let's go when you go. But if it's someplace where there's already been one before and you show up again and they remember the last time and I don't know, they're, they're, I mean, they're thinking outside the box. They're trying to come up with ideas. They, they need revenue streams. And yeah, 50% of a football stadium is better than 50% of a hockey rink. So, okay. Outdoor games are meant to be a once a year novelty. And there's so much at stake in the National Hockey League. And you're going to put yourself at the mercy of the elements on a lot of nights. Like how ridiculous. It might might rain one night. It might snow like crazy one night. It might be insanely windy. Um, It just, I don't know. To me, that's not the NHL. I mean, it's going to lower the risk a little but uh, not enough where I say you want to go, oh, we're going to do uh, 20 outdoor games this year. That's a hard pass for me. Yeah. And I also, like I said earlier, what about the revenue? Are you, the expenses go through the roof. If I own my hockey rink as an NHL owner, I'm not paying rent. If I'm going to a football stadium, I've got to assume you've got to pay for something. They're not just going to let you use it for free. Um, so you got to pay for something. Do you still get concessions? Do you still get parking when you don't own the place and you're just borrowing it for a day? There's the expense of the travel and all the uh, renovations that need to happen and the setup and the, you know, the boards and the advertising and all that stuff. The, the expenses are way more than hosting your standard everyday Saturday night hockey game at the uh, Scotiabank. So I just, now, I, I, I don't see it financially. I don't see it logistically. Uh, just whatever. If that's what they're going to do, fine, go ahead. It, it'll still look okay on TV, which is where I'm going to be watching all the games this year anyway, right? Yep. So you're, th- you're thinking Jan 15th, uh, or are you thinking later than that? Well, at the earliest January 15th. It might, might be February 1. Remember, again, we got that Olympic, uh, what is it, the third week in July or whatever. Everything's got to be done. I just I don't see it. 56 games starting January 15th. Like, come on. Right. You know, they're getting greedy, right? They're pushing too much. Maybe maybe they're starting at 56, hoping the players will settle for 48. Is that a negotiating ploy? I don't know. Hard to say. I mean, it's ideal 
to get going at least by January 15th, but that'll be easier said than done now that Gary Bettman and the NHL owners, this whole deferral of salaries, but inherently aren't they just, they're they're reopening the CBA. They don't want to, they don't want to say that, but by definition, I mean, if you're rewriting a CBA that's been agreed to back in July uh, by saying, oh, we need you to defer a bunch of money. No, we need you to defer more money on top of that. You're effectively reopening the CBA. And once you do that, then all of a sudden, to me anyway, all bets are off. You've got all the logistical issues. You've got the COVID scenario. You're going to throw labor issues in in there as well. Uh, that could complicate things even further. So January 15th to me is still ambitious. Yeah, correct. Because of these negotiations that are ongoing. Right. They they, they want to touch, now they want to get not only uh, salary deferral, but they also want to touch the um, the escrow percentage too. They want to talk about all kinds of things. They want to open these things up. Now, again, that might just be a negotiating ploy, but you know, come on boys. You're, it's going to turn out like MLB. Remember when MLB was ready to come back? And uh, the the players suddenly wanted more money or play. The players wanted to play less games. They agreed to the number of games. Then the owners wanted them to play more games so they could make more money. And they all just looked like a bunch of greedy people. And I hope that's not what's going to happen here. Um, they, they had a nice agreement in place. Okay, you got screwed a little because the COVID lasted longer than maybe you thought it would. Um, so, you know, too bad, so sad. You agreed to something. Let's get on with it. If they decide to do an all-Canadian division, where do you think the Ottawa Senators fall among the seven teams? There was a general manager's poll across the NHL, and they came up with, I guess, uh, a summary of all these GMs and basically ranked all the Canadian teams in order. And eh, not surprisingly, the Sens are not just in last place out of the seven, but they're way, way in last place (laughs) out of the seven. Is that where they belong, in your opinion? I think so. Yeah, uh, there are. You know, does Montreal mesh after the changes they've made? Maybe they flounder a little bit. They don't do as well as people think they're going to do. Um, same thing with Calgary. There's been changes made, and maybe they don't do as well as you think they're going to do. But they're still going to do better than Ottawa. Both of them. Vancouver's probably going to slip. Obviously, they've they've lost some players, as we all know. Um, but are they going to slip enough that they're below Ottawa? I don't think so. Uh, I, I, Winnipeg, same sort of thing. They're they're not going to be as strong. But again, are they going to be that bad? I don't know. I don't. Oh, sorry. I do know. I don't think they will be. How's that? Right. Um, Ottawa's going to be in the basement of that division. That's going to be tough on them too. The the only Eastern, sorry, the the, the three Eastern teams are going to have it tough when they've got to go out west. It's a, it's a different story coming west to east, but east to west and playing out there is going to be difficult. And that's going to be tough enough if you're not that good and you're young and inexperienced and what have you. Uh, it's going to be a long, hard year. Maybe Sorry, a short, hard year. When you look at what the Toronto Maple Leafs have done in the offseason, adding some veterans like Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, TJ Brody, uh, then you factor in, you know, a Zach Bogosian, and then all the offense they already had. I wish I could argue strenuously that they shouldn't be the prohibitive number one team in this all Canadian division. But honestly, from a hockey perspective, I have a hard time doing so. What about you? 
Yeah, you're 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 right. You're bang on. I mean, again, these some of these signings could flounder. Like like Joe Thornton could be terrible. Sorry, you're just too old. Wayne Simmons could be terrible. You're just too old. Um, but I think they're still going to be better than they were last year. A much more cohesive unit. Um, I, I look for them to be in first place in the division. The, the other thing here is don't forget the addition by subtraction. They lost some some bodies out in there that will make them better. I believe without mentioning any names, uh, I think they're going to be a better team just by, not just by the additions, but also by the subtractions. Leadership though. I mean, they are older players for sure. in Simmons, Thornton, Bogosian, but isn't that the very element that that team was mostly missing? I mean, I know they brought in John Tavares and, and he is their captain, but he's never really been that sort of, I don't know, follow me boys type of captain, in my opinion, just so quiet. And, and, and there's something to that. I mean, Daniel Offertson wasn't a raw, raw type of guy. It can work. But to me, they, they looked like a, a team that leadership wise, as far as players go, they seem to be a bit rudderless. And I feel like they've addressed that. Um, like as a coach, is leadership overrated? Is it crucial? No. Like, where are you at on that spectrum? It's- what what you're the, the distinguishing feature here between a Thornton and a Tavares, it's leadership by respect factor, right? It's leadership by by age and experience. Um, he's respected. Uh, Jason Spezza had it in that room there, but but maybe couldn't quite produce to the level that that would have allowed him to be even more of a leader. Um, you bring in a leader who's a quality person and everyone knows and respects the guy. Like Joe Thornton's been around since the 1990s, Steve. Um, he's gonna, he's got automatic respect as soon as he walks in that room. Uh, Wayne Simmons is a tough physical guy who is a hard worker. Work ethic is through the roof. He's a guy who's just going to command respect. And I got to believe the least would do their due diligence. These guys should be all on the right page and they don't need to be gung-ho. Just their example they're going to set when they show up, what they do when they're there, how they carry themselves in public, how they handle adversity within the room, on the bench, on the ice. All of those signs that a, that a veteran displays just because it's his natural way of doing things brings leadership qualities. Boy, it's funny how we think of Thornton and Simmons as guys who are, you know, best days are behind them, old uh, good leaders, fine careers, but uh, Simmons is nine years younger than Joe Thornton. That, that, that gives you an idea how long Thornton has been around. But you know what? I mean, you've got Tavares, you've got Matthews, you get Joe Thornton as your third line center. I think that's exactly where he needs to be at this stage of the game. If you're counting on him for top six minutes, uh, I don't think that's in the cards on a, on a contending team. But as a third line center, all of a sudden, you're getting some serious secondary scoring potential out of that third uh, unit. Yeah, and he's your second power play. He's on the half wall and your second. God, he might even get time on the number one power play, Steve, depending on how he gels. Uh, if there's some chemistry between he and he and Matthews on a power play setup, feeding cross, uh, you know, through the box to the far side for that one T from Matthews, then, then yeah, you could see Thornton on the first power play. These guys are going to contribute uh, in ways that we will, that will be obvious to us, but more importantly, in ways that will not be obvious to us these guys are going to contribute to that team. And I'm sorry to have to say that, Steve, they're going to finish first. Oh, jeez. Okay. So there's our <laughs> objective review of the all Canadian division. Um, here's my fan review. Leaf sock. How about that? <laughs> huh? yeah. How about that? Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think the Sens, uh, I'm going to predict this. The Sens will find a way to finish ahead of one of the Canadian teams. 
one of the Canadian teams will show up and they won't be that you know, for whatever reason. It just won't gel. We see that time and time again. Well, I sure expected a lot more out of that team this year. And the Sens will finish ahead of one of the Canadian teams. I have no idea who, but uh, I refuse to let them sit in the basement for another year <laughs> in any capacity. They won't be dead last overall in the league and they won't be dead last in the all Canadian division there. I've said it. I've made my prediction. We should get to birthdays, huh? Birthdays? Okay. Cue the music. (laughs) All right. We'll start out with Tom Pricing. Huh? Tom Tom Pricing. Quality defenseman. Now, did he come uh, with Joe Corvo or was it just on the same day from somewhere else as Joe Corvo? Tom Pricing arrived in the Havlat deal, didn't he? Somewhere, somehow. And then maybe it was Corvo as well. They they arrived either the same day or within a day or two of each other or in the same deal. I'm I'm a little blurry on it, but I remember when they were they were both acquired around the exact same time. Right. I do recall I that he only was here for one year, but what a year. He was part of the only Ottawa Senator Eastern Conference champion. He had 38 points in 80 games. And I know that the plus minus rating is much maligned by the whole analytics community, but a plus 40, he was a plus 40 that year. And that helped him. I think that number more than anything else, maybe at a time when the plus minus had not been raked through the coals that helped him get a four year, $11 million deal with LA in that off season. Yeah. He, he, he made out. Okay. Um, but he was playing in the bottom pair too, right? He pretty much solidified the five-six pair here for that season. Ooh, I don't remember. Certainly, L.A. didn't think of him as a bottom pairing guy. God, eleven million. No, no, he was in the bottom pair. Okay, moving on. A uh, very sad story of Sergei Zoltok. He would have been forty-eight this week. Died from heart failure after he collapsed while playing in a game in Belarus, and uh, thirty-one years of age at the time. Hard to imagine that was back in. Uh, 2003. Um, so he basically went back to the locker room in the middle of a game where he collapsed and died. And uh, everybody who played with him liked the guy. And it was certainly a sad news uh, when that went down back in the early 2000s. And he was a quality guy here. He put in some decent minutes. And then I, th- I think he went to Minnesota or he came from Minnesota. I know there was a connection with the Wild. The the um, the sad part is he, he wasn't the first uh, there was a young uh, Russian who the Rangers had drafted in the first round who also died of a heart attack or heart complications during a game over there. Uh, they really needed to take a hard look at themselves. and They, they put the proper things in place now, I hope, uh, to, uh, to hopefully uh, eliminate this from happening again. Yeah, it was a first rounder by the name of Alexei Sharapanov. That's him. They, uh, Yeah, that was also a heart failure situation. And you're right. There was a lot of discussion around that time between those incidents and the locomotive plane crash. There was a lot of discussion about uh, amidst North Americans wondering about the safety, you know, where, whether it be medical officials on site, whether it be the travel. Uh, so I'm sure that uh, that dissuaded at least some people from going over to play in the KHL. Seems to be less of a story here in 2020, but uh, for a while there, it certainly was a major concern. Yeah, they got the crap together now, apparently. And uh, speaking of locomotive, uh, Pavel Dimitra would have been 46 this week, and he perished in that locomotive plane crash. Carl Rakunik, another former Ottawa senator, also tragically killed in that same accident. 
And Demetra was such a neat story in that, I mean, the Senators and Pierre Gauthier obviously had no idea as the GM of this club what he had in Pavel Demetra. There was some back and forth over money. Demetra was not happy about being sent down to the minors. And uh, he ended up getting shipped out for the great Krister Olsen, who I don't think played a single NHL game with the Sens. And they had a diamond in the rough in Demetra, a ninth rounder. Ninth rounder, 227th overall. And my memory of Pavel Dimitra was the, the fact that he was up in the stands for the actual draft. He was expecting to go way, way earlier than a ninth round. And uh, he's up there fighting off the tears when the Sens finally called his name. So let's close it out today with a little Sens trivia. I know we started you out with some Sens trivia, but we've got a little more to close it out. Okay. So, five Calder Trophy winners. Five have suited up at some point for your modern-day Ottawa Senators. Jeez. How many can you name? Wow. Let's see. Daniel Alfredson. That would be the easy one because he's the only guy (laughs) who won a Calder Trophy while playing for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. Okay. Did Danny Heatley win a Calder? He sure did, number two. Wow, okay. We're up to two. <laughs> I hate it when you spring these things on me. I feel badly if I don't. I, I sent you trivia, and I said it'll be on Calder Trophy winners and the Sens. No, no, you just said award winners. You didn't say, you said Sens and NHL award winners. Oh, you're right. I didn't want to give you too yeah. much. You just look up all the Calder <laughs> Trophy winners. <laughs> wow. Well, we, we can't count. Well, there were, there were Senator players who won it back uh, in the day. No, I, I should have said modern day sense. Yeah. Okay. Brian Berard never, never played here, but he did win a Calder. Right. So he, he, he's not counting, right? He does count. He does count. Well, did he actually play here? Oh yeah. Good point. He was technically property. Okay. We'll take him off. We still have five. <laughs> wow. All right. Time's up. Yeah, I have no idea, Steve. You got me. These are the ones I have. Uh, yeah. Tom Barrasso. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He won it, yeah. Then you got your Scott Gomez. Oh, jeez. Okay, you, now, you, <laughs> I, I would have even completely forgot that he had won it, and then to try to remember that he played for the Senators. What was he? He was like five games or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, at a, I think, wow. a trade deadline acquisition. He, he closed right. out the year with the Sens, and... Really did nothing, nothing at all. I don't remember. I mean, for, he might be the biggest name among Ottawa Senators who did nothing. <laughs> yeah, okay. A Bonder might be a close second. Yeah, uh, yeah, good one. I like that one too. Yeah. Uh, Brian Berard was my fifth, by the way. Uh, so there is, yeah. uh, there's the five. And uh, technically, yeah, you're right. Berard never played for the Sens. Might have been a different thing. Same, I think. I think that's a Pierre Gauthier call as well, if memory serves. If he had made that team out of the gate. Because uh, Berard said, you know what? I'm looking around at some of these defensemen here, and like I could, I, I'm not on this team, and these guys are, and so that's why he got his nose at a joint. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I thought he never ever even came. No, no, he was here, and he didn't. He wanted to be on the team right out of the gate. And if you look back at what I guess that'd be really? around 90, okay. 96. Yeah, and uh, that's why he wanted to. He wanted out of Ottawa because he wanted to play and. Well, they made the deal, and the rest is history, and it certainly did not work out very well for Brian Berard. If he is an Ottawa senator at that stage of the game, 
Uh, he is not getting a uh, an eye injury that he had against the Ottawa Senators when he ended up playing for the Leafs. All right, that'll put a nice bow on the proceedings, Greg. You know what I did yesterday was, uh, and it, it, it ripped my heart at it, but it was also a wonderful, positive memory of Christmas. As you know, my dad passed away in August, and we're just finishing up now, uh, clearing the place out. Um, I think we close on the house in a couple of weeks here now. And underneath the, the basement stairs, in this sort of little sleeve that was installed on, on the on the backside of the stairs, I found my tabletop hockey game from when I was about 10 years old and it was all, it was all pretty mangy and stuff, but my dad put it in plastic and, and uh, all the little players were still in there. It was that, it was that tabletop hockey game where you had Montreal and Toronto, but there was no licensing. So it just, they just wrote (laughs) Montreal across the front of the Jersey and uh, it was, it was beat up. No, it wasn't the metal one. It was, uh, it was plastic, but it was quite a bit, it was quite a lot of metal in it. So I would say, you know, it probably was something from the 70s. And uh, man, I, I I almost broke out in tears just thinking of my dad kind of tucking that away, knowing that I might want it someday because, you know, we'd play it together all the time at Christmas. And to find that, um, one of the last things that we took out of the house, man, lump in the throat stuff. Uh, I posted it on my, on my Twitter account it. at TSN Steve, but uh, it sure was special to find that. Don't know if I'll keep it because it's kind of mildewy, but uh, it sure was neat to to see it one last time. Well, whether you keep it or not, Stephen, the memories don't go away. 100%. 100%. With that, we'll call it a day. Greg, have a great week. And uh, when do you come back, by the way? I fly in on the 16th, so I think one more recording from here, and then uh, that week when I'm in town, we'll uh, I'll come out to your palatial estate and record on site with you. How's that sound? Sounds good. We'll uh, do a social distance okay. beer or two as well at the same time. We look forward <laughs> yeah. to that. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for being with us on the Sins Nation podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help the nation grow, leave a positive rating or review. Share the show with other Sins fans. Become a Patreon member or subscribe for free and never miss a single episode. Until next time, go Sins go.